The Charles Adler Show starts now. I've been looking forward to an opportunity to speak with a a good friend in Edmonton who's a nephrologist, which means a a kidney specialist, but more important, uh, he's an emergency doctor. So he sees people with all sorts of emergencies. And there's an emergency happening right now in his own backyard in Alberta, and it's the E. coli epidemic, which has hit uh, children. So, yes, I was looking forward to having Dr. Darren Markland on with us, uh, but I was not looking forward uh, to whatever reason we would want to have him on. And uh, this is a dire situation where um, some children are in very serious condition in the hospital. We'll get an update right now. Dr. Markland, welcome back. It's uh, great to have you on the podcast, uh, despite the circumstances. Yeah, yeah, it's nice to be back. And I agree with you. It's, uh, it's a pretty difficult situation that uh, we find ourselves in right now. And when I say we, this is an outbreak that's located in Calgary right now. So we're talking about uh, E. coli food poisoning, and uh, you put out a very instructive thread on Twitter, or X, as it's now officially called, uh, the other day. And one of the things I think that the public might not be aware of, it certainly uh, bushwhacked me, is the idea that we all have E. coli in our systems right now. Uh, What's that about? Well, we always live in an environment where we're balancing ourselves between uh, the organisms that we live amongst, right? And uh, you have bacteria on your skin, and you also have a great number of bacteria that are actually helpful bacteria that live inside of your colon and your intestines. E. coli is one of them. Uh, And for the most part, it's a pretty innocuous bug. Your body keeps it in the right places. Uh, In the intensive care unit, we see people who have um, been shot in the abdomen or have had operations that have gone wrong. And we see stool contents leak into the belly. And you can get a direct infection where things get out of control. And people get very sick with that. But that's not what's happening in Calgary right now. What's happening in Calgary is a very different circumstance where there are E. coli, which have developed super weapons uh, in a way that to give them the advantage in the war. In fact, bacteria want to eat you. What keeps them in place are a series of barriers. And this E. coli called the O157H7 variant has a secret weapon called Shiga toxin. And uh, if you're a fan of spy thrillers, especially Second World War spy thrillers, you've probably heard about little tiny rice bullets uh, that were shot out of umbrella handles. And ricin is a similar toxin as shiga toxin is. It does the same thing. It shuts down your cells' ability to make proteins and to repair themselves. And as you know, we're constantly injuring ourselves. Um, I fall off my bike all the time, and the reason that I heal is because my cells make proteins. But if you shut off all of these ability to make proteins, then even the slightest wound never heals and bleeds and things break down. So what this E. coli does, which tends to live in livestock and cattle, is when you eat it or you drink it through, you know, ways, um, it will shut down the protective mechanisms in your gut. And the first thing you notice is you get really bad abdominal pain. That's because your bowels are effectively injured now. And within, mom- within moments, days, you get a really bad diarrhea that turns bloody, and you're literally sloughing the inside of your guts out as that happens. Once that happens, the membranes that keep bacteria in your gut are now been damaged, and the bacteria can gain entry, and it gets into your bloodstream, and that's when things get real serious. Now, this Shiga toxin also damages blood vessels, right? And so there's a lot of little tiny blood vessels in everything, but the kidney has a lot of them too. 
And when these blood vessels get damaged, about a week after the initial infection, we see the kidneys start to shut down. And then that leads to this dreaded syndrome that we're seeing in Calgary, HUS, which stands for hemolytic, which means that the blood vessels are damaged. The insides are like sandpaper and the blood corpuscles get torn apart in them. Uh, and then they break up, that's hemolysis. And then when they break up, they clog the kidneys. And when the kidneys stop cleaning the blood and accumulating toxins, we get uremia, which is the clinical term for toxins not clearing. So hemolytic uremic syndrome is basically kidney failure caused by this toxin. So, Dr. Markland, we're talking about very young children because the affected kids are all in daycare centers. Apparently, the um, food poisoning they got from a, a kitchen which feeds many daycare centers in Calgary, a kitchen which we're told has been inspected regularly by the government. And I, it's hard to believe that the inspectors were taking their job seriously if it has been inspected regularly because the, the latest inspection is, is telling us about all sorts of really disgusting and vile conditions in the kitchen, including live cockroaches. But before we, we talk about uh, the government responsibility here and, and, and what's going on politically around all of this, I just want to ask you this, is a child, a very small child, one who's in, in daycare, are they more susceptible, are they more vulnerable when it comes to E. coli food poisoning than an adult with a, a more mature immune system? So we're all vulnerable to this. Everyone can get this. In fact, every time you've, quote unquote, got the shits, you've probably gotten a little bit of bacteria or viral food poisoning. Um, it's our body always looking after things. Kids have a very different response to it. And you're right, like all things, if you're weak or young or have other medical conditions, uh, you can be more predisposed to this. And so when children get a severe cause of this, they are more likely to get the worst complication, which is this HUS. And when I say HUS is bad, I mean it for a lot of different reasons. It can have lifelong complications. Um, these kids are now at future risk for kidney problems, high blood pressure, inflammatory bowel disease, irritable bowel syndrome for the rest of their lives. Um, adults, when, get, when they get really severe cases, can have strokes and heart failures. So this is a serious disease. So I just wonder, Dr. Markland, based on what you've been reading, how did it get this bad? I'm going to presume that many people get E. coli infections from time to time. and It doesn't make the news. But this is an epidemic, and we're talking about hundreds of, of children being affected. How could it get this bad? Well, you've just asked a very simple question that has likely a very complex and long prodrome and answer. Um, when I look at what I heard, and I've heard what you heard as our chief medical officer of health finally came out and kind of disclosed what the investigation showed. It sounds like this was a kitchen that was being routinely expected, but it was also failing routinely. And that tells us that it, the surveillance isn't the problem. It's more the enforcement that seems to be the issue. And we've all had really old cars, right, that have failed us on multiple occasions. And no matter how much you put, how much work you put into a bad car, eventually it, it, it never passes inspection. I think this kitchen is an example of a place that is such a bare bones operation that is the lowest, you know, it's the lowest bitter situation to bring the cheapest, most plentiful food to the most people. I think it's just a broken machine that can't be fixed. 
And how it gets there is dependent on management and market pressure and the way that we decide what is value for the product that we're getting. And right now it's the lowest dollar for the most amount of calories. But if it's if it's a low grade kitchen, if the conditions are low grade, as I say, live cockroaches, and that's just one one example of of many things that would disgust anybody. So if if they're regularly being visited and they're routinely being cited, why the heck wouldn't somebody make a decision to shut it down? It's the million dollar question. I think uh, food, yeah, like I don't think we can hang this on the individual investigators. I think this is. Another example of how public health has been undermined for a very long period of time. Uh, these are people with good intentions and who work hard, but they just have too much work to do. So, you know, when I talk to my chef friends, you know, most people take pride in their restaurants and work in a collaborative way with food inspectors. But I think we're seeing the rise of ghost kitchen, kitchens and shadow food producers uh, who basically will fly on the outside of the rules for as long as possible, make as much money as they can. And when they get shut down, they pop up in a different place with a different numbered company supporting their finance. Dr. Marklin, I'm not positive that everybody understands, but certainly I would think that the health authorities would understand how dangerous it is when you're dealing with fresh food that is not fresh. Give me some, some examples, would you, of, of, of which foods potentially uh, can cause children the most amount of harm if we're not taking care of business? So like everything, ground ground beef is probably one of the greatest concerns, and that's where you need a reputable source. Um, now, if we're talking about steak tartare, I mean, you're taking muscle meat and you're cutting it up under direct supervision. You have to be super careful and really good standards are placed because you're eating raw chopped beef. If you're buying dubious source ground round, I mean, to fill that thing, you're not just using muscle meat, you're using offal, which includes intestines and organs. An intestine has a certain amount of fecal matter in it, and that's how the bacteria gets in. So number one, if you don't know who's grounding your meat, the only protection you have is to ensure that it's cooked to the proper temperature. And everyone who has a meat thermometer has a listing for what you te- what you have to cook ground beef to. If you're a gourmet, you know, those pink-centered burgers, you only eat those if you know exactly where the meat's coming from. Now, this is also a problem for people who are even vegan. A lot of, I've gotten a lot of people telling me that they don't have to worry about this because they don't eat meat. But some of the greatest outbreaks of E. coli have happened in non-meat-based settings. For example, Walkerton was a contaminated well with E. coli. And there's been multiple events where irrigation water has been contaminated with sewage. So we've had recalls on spinach and romaine lettuce because it was contaminated with the same thing. That's a very good example of where you have to wash your vegetables really well if you're uncertain about it. But for the most part, this is where regulatory commissions and public safety nets are so important. And really the terrifying thing I think for these parents is that they're good parents who were doing the best they could for their kids. They had no idea about the public layers of safety that I think have been undermined to lead to this degree of failure and literally an epidemic of fecal bacteria contaminating and infecting and hurting their children. Now, more with Charles Adler. So we talk about public-private uh, uh, partnerships. It, it's not as if this major kitchen, which appears to be uh, an E. coli cesspool 
it's not as if this is owned by the public. This is a, a private private system, and it, it's a private supplier. Uh, is there any reason to think right now, in order to uh, make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen, isn't more widespread in Alberta or, for that matter, the country, is there any reason to believe that we need for these kinds of kitchens uh, to be under the auspices of the public, or can we trust the private sector to do its job? Well, again, right, um, there are many private, like every time you go and eat, you eat at a private establishment. Uh, we don't have problems that way. Uh, most of the chefs I know take pride. Uh, what you're looking at is the difference between a private responsible business who has a public face and realize there's consequences to making mistakes to a anonymous hidden um, food producer who is being contracted for the lowest dollar. Um, and that's where the rules have to come in. If it's not about pride, then there has to be absolute rules with absolute enforcement. And your point is very valued. Even they failed multiple inspections, but they knew that they were going to get away with it. And in the interim, business as usual, make as much profit as possible. There's intense pressure to deliver low-priced food, especially when you look at the cost of food today. I, I feel bad for people who are on both sides of this. You want to feed your kids good food, but you don't make a lot of money. Well, boy, we just ran into wealth disparity and taxation. And I think that's a scope outside of what we originally started talking about. So, Dr. Markland, I know that you can't give us a specific prognosis on, on, on the children, but based on the information that you have, what are we looking right now at? Uh, are we looking at a situation where this will be curtailed, where this will be limited? Or are we looking at a situation where we're likely to hear about more and more cases of kids being infected with E. coli? Well, for this specific outbreak, I think, has been localized and at least controlled. Um, now, that the, the, the chief medical officer of health has not specifically pinpointed this kitchen, but has intimated that this is the source. And so if they shut this down, then we'll follow the natural arc of sickness, right? People get sick, they get diarrhea. The kids who are in renal failure, the ones who have gone on to dialysis, will probably be on dialysis for between three and six weeks, maybe a little longer. Uh, and then things will settle out, right? Most of these kids are going to get better. They're, they're going to get off dialysis. If you look at the literature, HUS has about a 5% mortality rate. So there's 250 kids. You do the math. There's a possibility that one or two are going to die. Um, and I don't mean that. I don't mean to be blatant about it. But, yeah, we, we apply these numbers. We can see this happen. In Walkerton, I think seven people passed away out of 2,000 people being infected. So there are there are serious consequences to this. The bigger picture is, is this the canary in the coal mine? Are we just seeing the beginning of the erosion of the public health system so that there's a bunch of wonky kitchens out there doing the exact same thing and we'll see future ones? My hope is if we have a good investigation with good transparency and we act upon it, then we will see money put back into this, not only for investigation, but also for enforcement. Um, and I wouldn't mind a good public playing of the people who own this this restaurant to put a face on the people who are actually practicing dubious business principles. 
Now, when I asked you about uh, E. coli specifically, you, you, you said that uh, the most most dangerous uh, sources uh, were in meat, and you spoke uh, specifically ab- about beef. Uh, I, I realize that a relatively small percentage of people are vegetarian or vegan, but uh, based on the knowledge that you have and based on the knowledge you have of food production and meat production, would you say that people who are vegetarians or vegans are arming themselves against E. coli infections? Oh, absolutely not. I mean, some some of the biggest outbreaks have been in in romaine lettuce and spinach, and that's because irrigation water is often contaminated with raw sewage. So, just being a vegetarian, I mean, it's a healthy way to live, and it's a very good environmentally responsible way to live. As a physician, if we could all be vegetarians, it'd be great. But you still have to be vigilant with your vegetables. You have to ensure that they are safe. You have to ensure that they are inspected and you have to wash them really well in hopes that you can mitigate some of the risk from it because we don't cook vegetables. Usually you make a salad and if there's E. coli on it, you have really other than washing it really well, no way of protecting yourself from contamination. Dr. Marklin, it matters not to me whether the questions that you would have are, are scientific or, or political, but I want to ask you, because you're an expert at, at so many things revolving around health, uh, medicine, and public policy, what would your questions be right now if you were speaking to the Chief Medical Officer of Health? Uh, my first question is um, why there hasn't been transparency on this. Um, I think our chief medical officer of health is in a bad position. Uh, Number one, Dr. Jaffe isn't really trained in public health. He was installed when um, Dina Hinshaw was released. Um, Number two, I'd really like to see how, why there isn't enforcement in this uh, and how many of these places exist, how often this is a problem. Again, a random sampling out there would suggest that people, that restaurants with critical problems uh, are in the minority and tend to fix their problems. This was a recurrent issue. I have no understanding why this kitchen was allowed to function when it failed so many. And so is, is there a tacit approval that, you know, we're going to get you by no matter what because you're a business and that's how it goes? Uh, were there people who were running this business who were friendly to the government? I don't know. I shouldn't even put that out there. But I think transparency is really important. The biggest thing that I think I've seen on social media is the complete, uh, or not complete, but the significant distrust we have in our public, uh, our public uh, health officers right now. And that, that comes out of the pandemic. That comes out of the interaction concerns about political interference with our chief medical officer. And so, again, this is an opportunity to, again, throw open the shutters, make this transparent, um, expose the weaknesses, uh, build the system better, uh, invest some of this, quote unquote, war room money in things that actually make a difference with respect to people's safety and health. Um, And that, for me, would be uh, a, a good utilization of a horrible event. Now, I don't want to get uh, too deep into the, uh, the the political weeds because I want to make sure that we retain as many uh, listeners and, and viewers as possible around the country and around the world. So on the, on the subject of E. coli in general, 
What would your rules be, rules of the road, whether we're talking about uh, kitchens, whether we're talking about uh, kitchens that are run by, uh, by businesses or kitchens that are run by, by, by individuals and families? What, what would uh, Dr. Markland's rules of the road be to make sure that we don't have E. coli infections? Well, so I'm a, I love cooking. I'm actually part of a cooking club, and I work with professional chefs. Uh, and it's amazing how well-trained these people are. Um, it's amazing how vigilant they are because from day one, they've trained to be clean, uh, you know, and we learn to cook, uh, from usually our parents, uh, and our parents are pretty good, but chefs are on another level. Uh, so the first thing I would say is if you're running a business, uh, make sure you have expertise. And you don't need a science degree or a microbiology degree. You just need people who are paid well, who are invested, who want to make the best product, and who listen to the recommendations. Uh, the other thing is that these health recommendations, the code of health safety, is not considered arduous by most professional chefs. They consider it an easy thing to deal with. If you're following the rules and you know what you're doing, you're not going to mess up. And even if you do, most of these violations tend to be minor violations that health inspectors are willing to work with you. Uh, but if you're somebody who is having multiple problems and you're not fixing it, I don't think it's a problem from a health inspection. I think it's your problem. And you got to figure out the product that you're trying to, to deliver. And if the pressures are such that you're promising to deliver food at a cost that you can't deliver it at, that's the problem of the market. What should we be doing, though, in our own homes, in our own kitchens, to make sure we're as safe as possible? Well, that's what your mom taught you. You wash your hands. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you do. It's, uh, you wipe down your surfaces all the time. E. coli grows on surfaces. Uh, there's also the chain of refrigeration. You always, whenever you get something, you have to ensure that you don't leave it out. Certain foods are safer than others. Anything that's ground, for, like I say, ground beef, uh, ground sausage, ground anything has bacteria mixed within it. There are literally regulations that say how much fecal bacteria is allowable in ground beef because we know it's in there. So again, you gotta cook it well. You can't leave it out on the, uh, you can't leave it unrefrigerated for a certain period of time. Uh, and your cooking methods have to be robust. Right. So, again, if you don't know where you're getting your food from or you're unaware of it uh, or you don't know what the chain of custody is, then that food is suspect for contamination. And most times you're going to be OK. But every so often we've all gotten the shits after a dubious meal. Dr. Markland, the most of what we eat is coming out of a can. So what happens when you're opening up a, a can of tuna or a can of beans or peas or corn or whatever and uh, you haven't eaten all of it and you just put it back in the can, and you put the can in the fridge. How intelligent a practice is that, especially if you're going to leave that can of tuna or corn in the fridge for several days? I love it. It's incredibly practical. I actually know this. In the good old days, cans were uncoated, and so they weren't harmed, but the, the flavor of tin, would once you, once you allowed air into the can, would allow it to oxidize, and it would, de it would make, give the food a funny tinny flavor. Now they actually coat the inside of cans with a polymer. It's like a vinyl. So there's a plastic. So if you want to do that, that's fine. As long as you refrigerate it, as long as you don't leave it on the counter too long. 
you know, watch out for potatoes too. Potatoes are a little tricky because, you know, everyone always thought it was a mayonnaise and potato salad that can get you sick, but literally potatoes uh, are a great medium for microbacterial growth. So you have to ensure refrigeration there. But yeah, open cans are fine. I don't do it because, you know, I always finish everything because I'm always hungry, but yeah. <laughs> Dr. Markland, uh, thanks very much for a nutritious conversation, especially <laughs> under the circumstances. And actually, we also wish the children and their, and their parents in Calgary well in this E. coli crisis. And of course, we wish the citizens, the residents of Alberta well with uh, the politics that appears to be somewhat infected, uh, to say the least. Uh, Dr. Darren Markland in Edmonton, thank you very much for this conversation. It's my pleasure. It's great to see you, Charles. Darren Markland is a nephrologist, which means a kidney specialist, and he's an emergency doctor in Edmonton. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for telling your friends. Thanks for subscribing or following the Charles Adler podcast available on all your podcast platforms. Catch Charles Adler Mondays on Real Talk with Ryan Jesperson, twice a week in the Winnipeg Free Press, and every day at criermedia.co.